All right. Well, praise God for uh, Jason and Laura Lee's obedience uh, to him and stepping outside of uh, what's comfortable for them in order to help more people get connected and meet the needs of the church community. And as they said, if you're here and you're not plugged into a group, uh, I would highly encourage you to do that. You can stop by uh, the welcome desk, as it said in the video, on uh, your way out of here and find out more information about those groups. If you're here with us for the first time uh, or watching online for the first time, then we are so glad to have you as our guest, and we would like to know who you are. Uh, you can stop by the welcome desk, come and see one of the leaders of our church down in the front of the stage at the end of the service, or you can text the word connect to the number that is on the screen, and one of our staff members uh, will follow up with you. Well, we are in a series called Live Sent, and as we've been walking through this series over the three months that we're in it, we're kind of right in the middle here, um, we've been asking a question every week, and today I want to ask this question, will you obey God? Will you obey God? Now, the word obey carries with it a lot of baggage. I mean, I think Taylor Swift could write a whole album on the baggage that the word obey carries Many of our thoughts immediately went to those extreme examples of maybe a dictator or uh, strict parents that we had or we knew someone else had or maybe some teacher we had in school or the school uh, that we were a part of. But also what comes to mind when we talk about that word obedience are extreme examples that happen in church. In fact, you know, that whole idea of obeying, obeying, obeying uh, is what really causes some people to run away from church, run away from God ultimately. And, and I think the reason why is because obedience gets presented out of order. So like somebody visits a church or getting a cup of coffee and people are like, hey, how are you? You need to obey God. Or somebody, you know, that mom's like bringing her kids to church. They haven't really been going to church much. The kids are getting a little older. They're kind of realizing, hey, God isn't the priority of our home. And they drop the kids off and they're like, okay, here's some information. Also, here's how you need to obey God. You know, and maybe you have, you're visiting church and somebody sits beside you and they're like, hey, how are you? Is it your first time? Yeah, okay, obey now, obviously, those are kind of extreme uh, examples of this whole obedience thing. But in reality, a lot of people start going to church, and that's kind of the first thing that they hear is how they need to obey God, especially if they seem to need not be following the rules that most of the church is following. You know, if their struggle to obey God is different than the rest of the church. So it's no wonder people often run from God. I, I, I think before we really get started this morning, it is important to understand that the order in which obey is presented is incredibly important. In fact, God considered it to be incredibly important. When you think of obeying God, probably what comes to mind is the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's ten things that God commands us to do. You should obey God in these things. But I want you to notice what God said in Exodus chapter 20, before he gave the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So before God says, hey, obey me in all of these ways, do all these things I say, he says, this is who I am. I'm the God who rescued you. I'm the God who saved you. Now will you obey me? I think it's very important that we help people to understand that. In fact, in the New Testament, the people who obeyed Jesus were the people who believed Jesus. 
They were following Jesus. And so because they believed who he was and who, who he claimed to be, they began to do the things that he told them to do. Obeying God is incredibly important. John 14, verse 15, Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And it's not an understatement to say that those people who loved him and kept his commandments changed the world. Their lifestyle was so overwhelming that it toppled the Roman Empire. Today, we talk a lot about uh, how hard it is to live as a Christian, you know, in, in our current society and around the people we're with. Well, Rome, where Christianity was illegal, became the capital of Christianity because of the obedience of Jesus's disciples. So we're talking about living sin. We're talking about living a life on mission for God. But we need to ask ourselves, if we're really wondering, if we're really thinking about living sin, will we obey God? Will you obey God? And this is where people bail. You know, it, it's one thing to say, I love God. It's one thing to go to church, but to actually obey God, that's when you have to say, oh, God wants me to do something differently than maybe I am inclined to do with my money? Or maybe that's gonna require me to change my schedule and give time, but I've already allocated all of that time. And maybe there's some things about my character that I need to work on. And maybe the way I treat people has to change. And so a lot of people bail when it really does come to obeying. And Jesus knew this. And so Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, and you can turn to Matthew chapter 7 if you have your Bible. Sermon on the Mount uh, is covered in Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus really teaches about the kingdom of God, the will of God. He's teaching to people who are following him or who are interested in him, and he gives what seems like a new value system, a new way of thinking, a way of living for God. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, I want you, I want you to put yourself in this audience and you're hearing Jesus telling the story and you imagine what he's talking about. He's talking about two different men they're both building a house. The first guy says, okay, I'm gonna build a house and I'm in this desert community and, and floods come, so I need to build it on a rock so that when the flood comes, it won't get washed away. And the people who are hearing that are thinking, well, duh, everyone does that that builds a house, you would think. But we know better. Not every builder actually takes the time to build his house on a firm foundation on the rock. Then you have the second guy, the other, the other side of this. And he's like, I just wanna slap this thing up. And so he slaps his house up and he, the other guy's like looking for his foundation and just getting started and he's done, right? Like he's done already. He's, he's living his best life, drinking his Coors Light. That's just what I imagine this guy drinking, saying, hey, you're over there working hard and I'm enjoying my life. And then the flood comes and his house falls. 
And no one is surprised, like, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe that happened. Jesus says, to ignore my teaching is like this. It's like someone who doesn't build their house on a strong foundation. And when the floods come, the house will not stand. Now, for Jesus to say this is either arrogant or he knows what he's talking about. This, again, this is why it's important to articulate, to emphasize obedience in the right place. If you know who Jesus is, then you understand why he would say to listen to my teaching is like building your house on the rock and to not is like building your house in the sand. This is why obedience follows belief. Jesus says, if you trust me, if you believe me that I'm God, then do what I tell you. Verse 28 and 29 says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. He was not teaching them like someone who took a rabbi's interpretation of the scripture and told people what it said. He was teaching them as, if some, as someone who knew the will of God from reading it. And people believed him and they obeyed him and they turned the world upside down. And they did not turn the world upside down because they labeled themselves as Christians or they joined a church role, but they turned the world upside down because they obeyed God. Living sent requires obedience. And I want us to consider four things about obedience as we think about Matthew chapter seven and we look at another passage. You can go ahead and turn to that other passage, James chapter one, towards the back of the New Testament. And as you find your place in James chapter one, I wanna share with you that in 15 years of being a pastor, I have encountered people who say they wanna grow and do grow, people who say they want their life to change and their life does change, and people who say these things and that never happens. People have walked up to me after a sermon, walked down the aisle to talk to me, often with tears, with sincerity, and said, my life needs to be different. What you were preaching about, who you were preaching to is me. And it was like you were talking just to me, like God was talking to me, and I need to change. I've had people who got to that stage of life where they start getting their family back in church. They need to prioritize God. They've, they've gotten busy and, and he's kind of been put on the back burner and they want things to change. And some have and some haven't. I've had people want to meet with me or talk to me or message me and their life is in shambles. Their life is a struggle. They've failed and, and they realize their need for God and they want to be different. And some have changed and some have not changed. And to me, the biggest, and this is my first point about obedience, observable difference between people who want, excuse me, who see God working through them and those who say they want God to work through them is this. They read and apply the Bible. The biggest observable difference between people who see God working through them and those who say they want God to work through them is they read and apply the Bible. They get into the word. 
and they start to chip away at doing what the word says for them to do. Now, why is this it? Why is this what I would present as the biggest observable difference? Well, the Bible is God's word to us about who he is, who we are, and how we should live in relationship to him and others. The Bible is God's word to us about who he is, who we are, and about how we should live in relationship to him in others. Francis Chan said this, if God is the designer and creator of this world, if he made us and placed us on this earth, and if he has taken the time to tell us who he is, who we are, and how this world operates, then what could be more important to us than the Bible? It is a gift that is given to us to build our house on the rock. It is a gift that is given to us on how we go about building that house. It is a gift given to us in why and how we focus on storms that come. It is a gift given to us by God. James chapter 1 verse 18, excuse me, says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It was God's will that he brought us forth by the word of truth, by his word, that we would be the first fruits of his creatures. Now, verse 19, as he begins to get an application, it says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Notice, he says, my beloved brothers. He's saying, you are loved by the Father. You are a part of the family of God. You are the first fruits of his creatures. Christianity starts with the love of God, not with obedience. It's why we obey. The love of God is why we obey. There's a hymn, and it doesn't say obey and obey. It says trust and obey. We trust that God has chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a first fruits of all his creatures, that he has loved us, and so we want to obey him because he has loved us. And the biggest observable difference between people who say they want that and to see the fruit of that and those who don't is they read and apply the Bible. Verse 19 says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. To obey requires humility. That would be my second point on obedience. Obedience requires humility. James says, so be quick to hear. Now, to hear means listen. It doesn't just mean that you hear audible noises around you, but that you are listening at it and for it. Now, I have heard, this is just something I've heard, that in some marriages, some men, um, when their wives talk to them, they don't always listen to the, what their wives say. I've heard that happens. And I think that we realize the challenge of, of marriage when we're not really listening to our spouse, but I think often... With God, we're really not listening to God. We're really not listening to what he has to say. And so we can't always be thinking in our horizontal relationships or in our vertical relationships about what we have to say or our argument or other stuff. We need to be present and listen and seek to understand. Our relationship with God, listen, shouldn't be a monologue from us to God. I mean, haven't you seen enough, you know, Movies to know when you start monologuing, it usually leads to something bad. 
Like we need to be people who, there's a dialogue between us and our horizontal relationships and a dialogue between us and our vertical relationship with God. And the reason we listen is because we trust. The reason we listen to God is because we trust God. And so to be quick to listen, you have to be slow to speak. Now, I still have a long way to go in this, but it has been amazing how not responding to emails right away, how not responding to texts right away, how not saying the first thing that comes to my mind about how letting there be awkward silences so that people continue to talk and reveal their heart, how much that has transformed me and allowed me to think clearly and to have awareness of the situations I'm in. And so to be quick to listen, I need to also be slow to speak. And then it says to be slow to anger. Some translations say to be slow to act in judgment. Our culture is all about labeling people. Oh, you're this, you're this, you're that, you're that. Okay, decided who you are and what I think about you and whether or not you're relevant to my life anymore. That's our culture. Our culture is all about assuming the worst in people. Oh, they must be doing this. That caused me a problem. They must be an, an, an evil person. Our culture is all about our wrath on people. And James very boldly says, James 1.20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It is okay to be angry about unrighteousness, but personal anger towards someone is the anger of man, and it does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, what James is implying here is that it's the opposite. It's, it's patience that, it, that produces the righteousness of God. It's being slow to speak. It's being swift to listen. It's being slow to anger. It's being slow to act in judgment that produces the righteousness of God. You see, this verse is sandwiched in between God gave his birth through the word of truth and what we're about to read, read receive the word with meekness. Don't apply this text. Don't try to apply this text without grasping that James is talking about the humility we need in our personal relationships and in our relationship with God. And so if we're really listening to God, this is what I would tell you, that we are more aware of what needs to change in us than we are what needs to change in other people. And he says in verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. The, the imagery he's using is somebody taking off filthy outer garments, soiled outer garments. And he's saying, you've got to get rid of all that. Now, the church crowd is usually good at pointing out that certain things make you filthy. But in our context, I have to say that I rarely hear about how people who don't listen and judge quickly and are mean-spirited are filthy. I rarely hear us deal with that. You know, if somebody has a sexual sin, it's like they either get talked to about it or they get talked about. But in the church, it's usually like, oh, that's just so-and-so and they're just mean. When we're to be known, above all, by love. We cannot be okay with that. And I think it's important that James makes this connection here between the sin that we might have and need to get rid of, and the word, learning the word. He says, receive with meekness the implanted 
word. He must have been thinking of Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33 and 34. said, of the, of the day of the Holy Spirit, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will give their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. He's talking about this day in which the Holy Spirit is able to illuminate, to light the word to us so we don't need a priest, we don't need a mediator. God uses other people in our lives, but we don't need that. God has written the word on the hearts of believers and the Holy Spirit brings it out. And so he says, receive, that's a gift, that means it's given to you, the word with meekness, which means with humility, which is able to save your souls. Now, years back, and some of you may know this, I actually preached some of this, and I, I walked through a, a sermon series that another pastor, a notable pastor, had done on Matthew chapter 7 and obedience. And in it, he said, and it's just like cringing to go back over notes and see this. He said, Matthew chapter 7 isn't about heaven and hell, it's about your life and making good choices. He's wrong. What Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter seven is there's a storm of judgment that's coming at the end. And if your house is built on the sand, you won't stand. But if your house is built on the gospel of Jesus Christ and hearing and obeying him, you will stand. James says, receive the word with meekness, which is implanted, and it will be able to save your souls. You see, the most important thing about the word of God is that it brings salvation. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which is a, a scripture that people use to say why we should memorize the Bible. All scripture is given by God. It's profitable for doctrine, proof, correction, instruction, righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. It says that we might be wise in salvation in this text in verse 17. You see, the word ultimately shows us, here's what it shows us, I can't keep the word. But the word has been sent. The word is clearest in the person of Jesus Christ that God has revealed to you a way to be made right. So obedience really takes that humility to realize who we are, who God is, and therefore we want to obey him. And so my third point, and really kind of doubling down on this, is this. There is no reward for simply reading or hearing the Bible. There is no reward for simply reading or hearing the Bible. That means you could go and hear sermons week in and week out. Go to Bible studies multiple times a week and think that you are being rewarded, but there is no reward for simply reading or hearing the Bible. People can be familiar to this and have this memorized even perhaps and not experience the fruit of God. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't seem to make sense. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you know there's a passage that says that the word doesn't return void. That is true because God said it. So of course it's true, but the word doesn't return void and it serves two purposes. One, it transforms and two, it condemns. But those who are not made alive in Christ Jesus, the word is condemning. 
You're hearing basically that you're a sinner, that there's no way you can be righteous, and you're still not trusting in God for righteousness. So you can hear that day in and day out and read that day in and day out, and there's no reward for that. James says, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is like a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. You can think, my life is good. And then the word says, no, it's really not. You're deceived as to what your life is like. And if you hear that and you walk away and don't change, you're like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and then forgets what he looks like. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you see something that needs to change, you know, about you. And then you walk away and you forget. And maybe if you do that one or two times or a few times, then it's because, you know, you just haven't gotten to that place where you're conscious of it enough. But over a lifetime, it's just not that important to you. So what Douglas Moo, the, the biblical commentator, says is that looking intently means someone who stoops down to get a closer look. It means you're not just glancing at it. You're just not scanning it in the morning. You're not just listening to the pastor talk about it or your Sunday school teacher talk about it, but you're really looking into it. You're diving into it. What does this say and what does that mean about me and therefore what needs to change about my life? I don't know if we have any Law & Order fans, but I love Law & Order. I do miss the Jerry Orbach days, but that's okay. First service really amended me on that one. But, um, you know, but, but it's kind of the same thing every time. They, they kind of, at the beginning, it seems like something's going on, and they try to lure you into believing this is what happened. And then as more is revealed, as they investigate the crime scene, as they, you know, investigate the people involved, they take a closer look, and they really know the truth. And that's how our time in the Word should be. We've really got to get into the Word and dig in the Word and know if it's true. And, 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 and it needs to be centered around the Word. And so I, I would ask you this question, will you obey God? And that should be a question that we're thinking about in our groups. We're thinking about with our friends who we call believers, now, when we start talking about obe obedience as a part of how we do church, that's when people start crying legalism. They start, you know, saying that we're being legalistic. But it's not legalistic to say, here's what God's word says, how does that apply, and to lovingly push each other in that direction. I mean, every time we're correcting each other, we're, it's with gentleness. The Bible tells us that, with love. You know, Tim Keller says that everybody wants community, but they don't want accountability. But that's not true community. That's just having some church friends. We really need each other to push ourselves towards Christ. Community is the best way to avoid the self-deception that James warns us about. And so together, we're in the word, and we're being transformed by the word. Francis Chan, also in his book, Multiply, says, if you ever find yourself reading the Bible and not changing then you can be sure that you're approaching the Bible in the wrong way. 
If you ever find yourself reading the Bible and not changing, then you can be sure that you're approaching the Bible in the wrong way. We're not approaching the word with humility if we're not changing. James 1.25 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The one who looks into the perfect law, that's the word, and he says into, not at. I mean, they look into, not at. The perfect law of liberty, which means it brings freedom, and there is freedom in the application of the word in many ways. And perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. It means we are making the choice. I'm going to continue to obey God. Eugene Peterson called Christianity a long obedience in the same direction is what it means to be a Christian. It says we'll be blessed in his doing. It means we obsess. Is this the perfect will of God? Is this the right? Is this the wrong? That the person whose heart is humble before God, looking into his law with the intent on doing what he says, will be blessed in whatever he does. And so will you obey God? There's no reward for simply reading or hearing the Bible. So the last thing I would like to say this morning is this. Whether or not you will obey God comes down to who you trust. Whether or not you will obey God comes down to who you trust. You see, our culture tells us, here's how you should live your life. Here are the things you should live for. Here are the things that you should value. Our, our background tells us, here are the things you should live for. Here are the things you should value. The people who are in our lives tell us that. And culture might be right. Background might be right. Friends might be right. But Jesus says, Doing what I say is how you build a firm foundation. It's how you build the foundation to stand at life. And his promise is through storms, we will stand. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When they, when they wrote that Psalm, they didn't buy lights for decorative purposes. And then they were like, oh, the lighting in this room will look good. They're like, we need to see Okay, and when we're walking at night, there's not city lights, street lights. We will literally run into a house that may or may, not, may or may not be built on the sand. You see what I did there? When we're walking. So I need a lantern so that I can see. And what the psalmist is saying, he's saying, that's God's word for you. You can't see without God's word. You're in darkness without God's word, but it is a light to your feet and a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. We need the word of God. Listen, I praise God for the changes that have happened in the life of our church, how we're trying to engage more people. I pray that we would continue to be more engaging in reaching people, but we cannot stop being centered around this. You understand that. This is the light people need. This is the light we need. And so our community cannot be revolved around anything other than the word of God. Our changing world needs this unchanging word it is a light for all of us and so we then we then need to evaluate okay because because our church is real good about we're bible people the, the pastor preaches through books of the bible that's been true for a long time we do 
all of our life groups for the most part go through books of the Bible. We have 93 other Bible studies we go to during the week. You know, we're Bible people, but we need to evaluate. Am I changing? Is all that Bible reading leading to transformation in my life? Because James 1.26 says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. He says, If you've been going to church all your life, but you're still that mean person, it's all worthless. He then says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He says, if you're really in this for me, then obey and obey by serving people who can't give you anything back and keep yourself unstained from the world. Don't become like the world. So will you obey God? Will you obey God? And I really believe that when you begin to obey him and do hard things for him and step out of your comfort zone for him is when you really begin to see him. When is the last time that you said, I'm gonna do something that requires money and time and denying of my preferences? For God, when is the last time you deviated from your plan for God? When is the last time you served someone just because they needed, had a need to be met? And ultimately, I'll come to this question here, and Jason Dukes asked this in our curriculum that we're going through in our life groups. How is our life oriented around the mission of God? How is your life? oriented around the mission of God because it's clear that God has called us to go and make disciples. It's clear that God has called us to be on mission. We don't do missions as a church. We are on mission, every one of us. So our prayer should be what what Jason said in the curriculum. Lord, help me become your sent one making disciples like you did because I believe in you, the sent one. Lord, help me become your sent one. Help me follow you in obedience, making disciples like you did. And why? Because I believe you were the sent one. You were sent for me. And if you're here today, you're hearing, I need to do all these things for God. I just stop. I'm telling you, before you do all these things for God, here's what God has done for you. He has given Jesus, sent into this world on the mission of redeeming us of our sins, making us right with him. We can never earn that righteousness, and it's been freely given to us. Praise Jesus for that good news. So I I just want to lead us in a time of prayer right now, of reflection. And I want us to, I just want us to be quiet and still. I want us to ask three questions. Be honest with God about three questions. First, am I in the word? Am I in the word? Not am I looking at the word, am I hearing the word, but am I in the word and it's changing me. Is that part of how I live my life? Number two is do I have people in my life 
who are pushing me in that direction and walking with me in that direction, holding me accountable. Not do I go to a class and do I go to a church and do I have people, but do I really have people who are walking with me in that direction? And lastly, am I obeying God in the things I know to do? The general things, the specific things, maybe that one thing that you've been running from for whatever reason, am I obeying? Am I in the word? Do I have community? Am I obeying? Bow your heads, close your eyes, take a moment, be honest with God about those things. Jesus, may your spirit search our hearts. May your spirit empower our hearts. God, help us to not be superficial people with routines. but to be people in love with you, being shaped by you. If that's radical or whatever adjective that people want to describe us outside of the church or inside of the church, then so be it. God, help us to be transformed by your word and help us to be community centered around your word and not being entertained by your word but being changed by your word, each and every one of us. Send us, Lord. I realize not everyone in this room or watching online this morning makes that commitment, but for those, and I, I believe they're in this room, send us, Lord. Thank you for the assurance that your spirit is with us wherever we go. And God, I pray today as we talk about obedience, we realize that we don't obey. We realize that the word does condemn. But I, got, I pray that every Christian in this room would not be confused about condemnation because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so we might want to be better, we might struggle, we might feel those things, but they do, condemnation does not come from you. 
I stumble for the 20, 30, 40, 50 years that you give me on this earth from now, God, I will stumble into heaven by your grace and be fully yours. So it's not my performance that causes me to measure up to you. It's not my obedience that earns favor with you, but it is your performance on the cross and in the resurrection because of who you are, and it is your faithfulness that gives me favor. And so I want to obey you, Lord. May we surrender to you now. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.